Hello and welcome to Conversations with Jules and Ange. We are your hosts, Julie Smith and Angela Bleacher. We are two women passionate about helping others show up as their true selves in this world. We hope to support and inspire you along your journey of becoming the person you were always meant to be. Because the one thing we know with absolute certainty is that the world needs you. Today's episode is part two of our series on the topic of life after sport. And we are just very excited to introduce and talk with Dr. Nicole Miller. Nicole has a PhD in educational leadership and policy studies with a cognate in educational psychology, an MBA with a focus in entrepreneurship and a bachelor's of science in marketing with a minor in nutritional sciences from Oklahoma State University. As the Senior Director of Strategic Initiatives for Student Success and an Adjunct Professor of Business Communications for the College of Business at the University of Central Oklahoma, Nicole is passionate about student success, lifelong learning, career and professional development, translating athletic identity, purpose and identity, and resiliency. Her research interests include student-athlete transitions, athletic identity, college-to-career transitions, resiliency, leadership, and pedagogy. She also consults with clients to design reports, presentations, and marketing collateral through her business, which is called Identity 23 Consulting. And Nicole is married to her husband, Nick, and has two boys, Jack and Luca. So... Welcome, Nicole. Um, Julie and I are so, so thankful to have you here. And I think I need to go take a rest break because I'm exhausted <laughs> from just reading <laughs> your bio. That's amazing. <laughs> oh my God. Incredible. Thank you. Thank you both for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. So I guess let's start um, maybe a little bit more background about you and your experience as an athlete. Okay, so I'm a California native and started playing uh, t-ball when I was a little kid and decided that was not the sport for me. (laughs) So my mom decided, let's try something else. You want to play soccer? And I'm like, okay, fine. So I started playing rec soccer when I was seven years old and I absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, played for a few seasons and then decided to go the club soccer route and ended up on a really great team that ended up really kind of just being a powerhouse team, I would say, all throughout high school, uh, you know, from when we were adolescent to to moving into high school and going on to college. We we won a lot of stuff. We spent a lot of time together. Uh, we even were on the front uh, cover of the Kellogg's Frosted Flakes box, which was really cool. Um, and so just about every girl from my team went on to play D1 college ball. So this was, uh, just a really strong team while in club, I was playing forward and found myself sitting on the bench periodically and, you know, feeling this pressure, right. You get a couple minutes in the game and you run in there and you're trying to do your best, but then you flub up the pass and you're like, oh my gosh, they're never going to play me again. So you know, you get taken out and you've got these confidence issues going on. And, and I did. And so my mom was like, uh, you know, you can, you can do one of three things. You can quit, you can find a new team, or you can develop yourself and show them that you, you know, deserve to be here. And I'm like, okay, let's do the third one. Like, let's do it. 
So I started working with some private coaches and stuff. And then my coach came up to me one day and said, Hey, I want to try you in defense. And I'm like, okay. And it just clicked and it became kind of the position for the rest of the time. I in club, and then you have this like segue to the Olympic development program, which I did for a little bit of time and um, was being recruited by different universities across the country uh, at the D1 level to play soccer. And I had an injury during peak recruitment season. So I'd always had kind of like issues with my ankles and had to tape them all the time and stuff. But um, I remember being at practice, we were running sprints at club practice and I was going against this other girl. And while I was kind of in that final stride, I heard what sounded like a tree branch snap. And then this like a thing roll up and, you know, and I'm like, Oh my God. And it was my hamstring. So, um, so that was super fun. Um, or not because, you know, it, it took me out of the game for about a year, took me to recover. So, you know, you're being heavily recruited to not being as heavily recruited and it starts to freak you out a little bit. You know, you're playing high school ball and stuff. Like I played, made varsity as a freshman and played all four years and everything, but you know, you're sitting there wondering like, okay, these colleges aren't calling anymore. Like what's going to happen. So, um, it was just kind of like one of those like trust and wait seasons and, um, was out at, uh, surf cup or something one day and shot a goal from the halfway line and, um, Oklahoma state happened to be there at that game. And so they started recruiting, um, pretty immediately. And I loved it. I loved being there um, and committed to going and playing at OSU, played there for four years, kind of dealt a little bit in the beginning with some of the bench warming type of stuff my freshman year, which was kind of not expected. I was, uh, you know, expecting to go in and, um, you know, contribute significant minutes and I just wasn't. And so it was one of those like impasses again, where you can either like quit, move on or, you know, push through. And I pushed through and uh, ended up being a captain my senior year, making academic all conference, academic all American, top GPA on my team and OSU female athlete of the year, um, got scholarships from the NCAA and, and Mrs. Baird's bread to go on to, um, you know, grad school if I wanted and stuff. So that was really neat and fun. And so then, you know, soccer's over <laughs> you experience this like range of emotions and you're like oh my god what do I do with myself um you know I had this four-year relationship it ended I graduated I moved home there's no friends at home I'm depressed I'm anxious I'm fearful about the future I have no idea who I am or what I'm doing because it was wrapped up in sports and um that was kind of really what what happened at least sort of till that point in time um fast forward to today and you know I'm still playing indoor soccer. I started that up about almost a year ago now. And, you know, I'd be lying if I said I didn't periodically think about having my son's trainer train me to go out and try out for a protein. Again. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I love you. Love this. <laughs> Fully support that decision, by the way. <laughs> so tell us after your you came home from Oklahoma. Did you, did you, I don't know, did you meet your husband in college or did you have some time meet him and then have kids? Tell us, tell us that piece. The in-between. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So when I moved back to California, I wasn't sure what I was doing. Um, 
you know, I had the postgrad scholarship money and I thought, well, maybe I'll go to Cal State Fullerton and work on a master's degree. And so I started looking into that. And then a friend of mine called and said, hey, um, there's this semi-professional team that I'm going to play on. You want to come play with me? And I'm like, sure, why not? So I joined this semi-professional team. And I'll say that at the time that soccer ended for me, it was kind of the time when the women's leagues were folding. Um, probably close to around the time y'all were done too, I would bet. But um, there just wasn't a whole lot of stuff for women unless you were like on the route to the women's national team, which was my dream and my goal, but it just wasn't the reality. And um, so I was super depressed and I decided that I wanted to move back to Oklahoma and um, start my master's. And so I started doing it in health and human performance, thinking like, okay, I'm going to be a PT one of these days or something like that. And I started doing it and I'm like, man, this isn't for me and changed to business and kind of, you know, during that time, really in Oklahoma, the reason why I went back was because I had, I had become a part of this community through a church I was attending and these people became my family Mm -hmm. and they were a massive support system for me being so far away from home in California. And, um, you know, it was, I missed them. Um, so when I moved back, I ended up moving in with a couple from my church and I lived with them for two years. And during that time, I had decided to go on a missions trip to Italy. It was through the FCA and we were going to be training to become like missionaries in the area and stuff like that too. And it was a massive identity journey for me in rediscovering that my identity is in who God says that I am rather than how I allowed the sport to define me. And that was really the start of my post-sport identity journey. Um, And while I was in Italy, before I had went to Italy, I had met Nick. And when I met my husband at church, I'm going to tell you what he said to me the very first time that we met. So I was a worship pastor and uh, you know, I saw him like looking at me from the crowd and I had never met this guy before, but I'm like, oh my God, this guy's going to come talk to me. Like, Looking at me, he's going to come talk to me and he's going to say something real stupid, I think. And so he just had that look. And so he comes up to me and he's like, hey, you know, so I, I hear that you're a soccer player. You know, you think you can um, teach me how to bend it sometime? And I'm like, mm, Stop probably it. not. Yes. You know? <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my introduce, uh, introduction to the Nick Miller. And um, <laughs> and I could not stand him. Like he was sarcastic. He was like everything that I was not. And I would try to run away from him. And I thought if I would just be mean to him, he would leave me alone. But that seemed to just, you know, trigger him to pursue further and stuff. And so, you know, fast forward and we're kind of talking and I go to Italy and I'm like, man, this is just way too intense. Like I just can't do this right now. And so kind of, I mean, we weren't really together, but I just kind of was like, I just, I need to focus on this right now. But when I got back, um, I saw him and, um, I was like, you know, (laughs) I miss him. Like I miss my friend. And, um, you know, over time we, you know, developed this friendship and stuff. And finally I, I, uh, caved, you know, and, uh, we dated for three months. He, uh, asked me to marry him and we got married six months later. <laughs> oh my, God, oh so my gosh. So when you know, you know, I guess, but, um, 
kind of right before we got married, I went on another trip with FCA to Honduras and I went with a bunch of women's professional soccer players and then some, some former high school, um, college players. And I had told myself before that trip that I was either going to go try to play pro or I was going to stop shoulda, woulda, coulda, wish I woulda. Like it's either going to be all in or all out kind of a thing. And so on that trip, the girls were great. We had a great time, but I just realized that the life of traveling around wasn't for me, especially because you can make no money at that time too. You know, my body was tired. I wanted to be married and have a family. And um, what I realized was on that trip, my love for this sport involved playing it as an opportunity to get to know these kids and to share the love of Jesus with them. And so that was when I started to feel just this sense of like teaching is my passion. And I found myself speaking a lot at these events. At the time, I was kind of playing the guitar a little bit and doing some worship stuff with the kids. And that was really when it was like, no, you know, teaching is my passion in higher education. And that's really what kind of put me on the trajectory to, um, you know, going on and working in higher ed and eventually getting my PhD. I love that. I just had full body chills when you when you said that, can we go back to when you went to Italy and you said, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you said that's kind of when your journey with your identity after sport changed. Can you speak to that a little bit more? I can. Italy, Italy was a great trip. Um, it was with a bunch of former athletes. Um, and we basically got intense training on how to be an international mission missionary. And we ran a sports camp for kids in Italy. Um, we later broke into teams and went to different countries and did ministry and stuff like that. But um, I processed through a lot of emotions related to how I had approached competition in the past. Um, and I began to kind of consider reawakening my passion to, to play. And, um, I, I maybe will just, if it's okay, read you this from my journal. So I have this in my dissertation because, um, I, I had a lot of, uh, journals from this time in my life of this, you know, sort of disarray period slash, you know, identity reimagination. And I wove a lot of those journals into my dissertation, which I think was really interesting, but I wrote my whole life. My identity has been in my performance. That's why it was so hard when it all came to an end too, because I didn't have the sport or my accolades to show people who I was. So I found my major weakness since this trickles into all other areas of my life, performance, competition, pleasing others, doing things for myself. And I'm believing for freedom. The question of what would you do if you could do anything and you knew you wouldn't fail has always yielded this response from me, become a professional soccer player. Now, I don't know if that'll ever happen or not, but I'd like to try and see, believe I'm ready to try again. I can't do it without God helping me get back in shape and finding the right team, giving me favor and opening all the right windows and doors of opportunity. So that was about three years and seven months after I exited my collegiate sporting role. And a lot of what was going on in Italy at the time and what we were talking about is this notion of like, when I go out on the soccer field, because, you know, as a soccer player, like, do you experience God's pleasure when you're playing? And I'm like, I don't freaking know if I experience God's pleasure. Like I'm out there to win the game. Like 
Am I thinking about that? And then you have this whole like array of like guilt and, you know, whatever kind of flood over you. And you start just like, I mean, I just remember being in my head all about that. And like, if I had wasted all these years of my life, like trying to win, like, was I doing it for the right reasons and the right motivation and all this stuff. And it was like, okay, we're in Italy. We're going through this intensive training. Not only were we in intensive training, we were doing like crazy body training stuff too, because we were in the mountains and we were doing this like insane stuff where we were carrying people down these huge mountains. And like, I mean, I was in some of the best shape of my life while we were there. So we were playing soccer against each other. Like, it was kind of reawakening that passion again when it was done, but it was almost like this thought of if I could try again, maybe I can do it right this time or better this time. Like I can focus on the right things, but I think what I, what I discovered is like in that it was never that I was doing it wrong in the first place. It was just, that was just me as an athlete, right? Like every athlete is different and how they approach the game and how they approach the sport and was a nice player on the field, but I played tough, you know, and stuff like that. And I recognized I experienced God's pleasure, but not in the way that someone else experienced it next to me. And so I think that was what's beautiful later. Maybe, you know, when we talk about what came out of my study and stuff, it really connects here too. In that, you know, just because you may experience some sense of a fulfillment in one way, I experience it another way. And that's unique to me. And um, I think that's what really is interesting about this whole thing is like, there's no prescription for this stuff. Hmm. That's so profound. And something, you know, as I, as my like spiritual practice has evolved is one thing that I, I believe now in love is that I, I, or maybe even honor is how everyone's individual experience of higher power divinity is different and unique and just as it should be too. Um, So instead of thinking like I should have done this or this kind of surrendering to your path and your journey on, I don't know, through this as well. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what this podcast is about, right? You're surrendering to your journey. Yes. Amen. Ah. Okay. Let's dive into your your, your dissertation a little bit more. So you completed your dissertation on post-sport transitions and influences on athletic identity. Let's start with what led you to this topic. So like I kind of mentioned, I, I struggled with the transition from high level competition to life after athletics. And I'd be lying if I said, I still didn't struggle sometimes. It just looks different now. Um, different things will trigger it, right? Like becoming a mom and then putting your kids in sports and you're like this competitive, crazy person who's yelling on the sidelines. You're like, oh my God, how did I become this person? Um, <laughs> Same, you're so good. You know? And then I'm out there, like I said a minute ago, like watching my kid train. And I literally had this thought last Saturday. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to just train with him and I'm going to get out there and I'm going to like kill it. Like, <laughs> so, um, you know, it's like, I knew, I knew the sport would eventually end, but it didn't mean I wanted it to, or that I knew what to do after. Like it was my only dream, right. Outside of being a wife and a mom. And now you're like, oh, you have to find this new dream. And I just, I, I, I wasn't ready for that. Um, you know, my identity was wrapped up in athletics. I had to relearn who I was outside of athletics and probably y'all 
you know, can identify with this too. It's like soccer was a part of me. It's this longest standing commitment in my life, aside from the fact that I was born to my parents. Yeah. Um, yeah. Vacations are revolved around soccer, workouts, your schedule, you know, um, but, you know, what do you do after? And I remember going to Oklahoma State and, you know, in your female athlete of the year, they put your picture in a little thing like in this uh, uh, box or whatever with a window frame on it for people to see in the athletic center. And so I went back and visited. I can't remember when it was. It was a few years after. Of course, it would have been taken down by then. But then they replaced your name on like the running list of all the athletes next to it or something like that. And so my academic advisor was there and we were talking and a former soccer player or a current soccer player came up and um, my advisor was like, well, don't you know who this girl is pointing to me? And the player is like, no. And it was this like major wake up call of like, you are such a has-been. <laughs> like, like they, I mean, you're just, these kids are like in college and they're like, I don't really care who came before me. Like I'm trying to be the female athlete of the year, you know? So it's like, all right. So that's another little like hit to the ego, right. Of not being emotionally prepared for what that looks like. You know, I don't recall anyone really talking about this at that time and the various emotional or social adaptation changes that you would encounter after eligibility was done. And this question of like, who am I continued to surface. And, and sometimes it still does. Like, I think it, it surfaces for us consistently, which is why my study was based on uh, post-sport transitions in the extended spaces. And I think I even didn't fully understand my mom until doing this because my mom was a collegiate tennis player. My wow. mom is a mother athlete, just like I am. And so That's she... Cool mother doesn't ask like it just I don't know it just was so interesting and so you know then I transitioned to higher ed and I'm a super competitive person like like very <laughs> very competitive <laughs> and so like I transit I transitioned into higher ed and I'm having like early career you know success I have this competitive nature I'm nice to people of course I'm not trying to like you know beat people or whatever like I mean they don't know what's going on inside my head um you know, and then I realized, you know, my athletic identity, it's not always understood. It's not celebrated. It's not appreciated. And then further, you go on to see this divide between athletics and academics from a very different angle, because now I'm kind of an insider looking into how that looks and knowing that, you know, as an athlete, a student athlete, you experience this thing called role conflict where you're like, okay, I'm a student and I'm an athlete, but sometimes they're at odds with each other. But what I didn't realize was that I would also be challenged in balancing my role as a higher ed professional with my still intact athletic identity when I was uh, working. And so at times, you know, I felt ashamed of who I was and my post sport influenced ways of thinking and oftentimes felt the need to like apologize for or defend or mute my core identity. So I'll give you, for example, like we were doing this we we're going to do this event and one of the other colleges on campus had done it. And I'm like, let's go scout the event so like we can make ours better. And someone was like, it's not a competition. And I'm like, those are words are like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> what do you mean? It's not a competition. Like, is that all there is? You know? um, and so, yeah, like me, you know, we all come to this point where we put our playing days in the past and we move forward into our life and careers. You know, we hope to find a new dream or passion that fills the void that athletics it leaves behind, but, you know, we're all kind of on this journey. And so I wanted, wanted to know if other athletes had similar experiences and just became curious about their 
journeys, you know, I hoped that their journeys would help me understand my own, you know, like did we face common challenges or obstacles or emotions? And so um, that's really what led me to this study and what led me to make very intentional choices within the study of what I shared and how I share my story, because my story is its own chapter also, but it's also woven throughout the different case studies with the four different athletes that I interviewed. And then, like I said, I I brought in some of those journals and records and stuff at the end when I was kind of summarizing all the key themes and everything. And I, I really um, was having transformational experiences myself throughout the study. Like I was, there were days that I was crying. Um, Like I would listen to this one girl would talk and it was like, she was like, the best. Like she was so good at like having this great balance and all this stuff. And then I'm like on myself about, okay, why couldn't I be more like that and whatever. And then you're getting into this comparison game. And then I had to like deal with that with myself. Like there was a time that I even like went and saw a counselor for a minute. Cause I'm like, I need to like work some stuff out clearly. Like I was going through stuff while I was going through this study. And this was not an easy study to do because I had to do some like serious soul searching um, of myself as I went through it. But I think that was the beauty of it. And um, I really transparently put myself out there within the study to kind of share exactly where I was at and what I was thinking as I was writing it. Gosh, what a powerful journey. Let's take the listeners through the study a little bit, if you're open to that. So you interviewed and completed case studies on four former, there were women athletes, correct? About their transition to life after sport. What, what were the big overall findings? So there were four main findings and two sub findings in the study. The first one, which I think kind of set the the foundation or the lens for all the other findings was that the initial (laughs) operationalization, try to say that word. Um, So like how athletic identity was built from the very beginning. That's, That's what we're talking about here. So the initial building of athletic identity was influenced by each individual's attributes, their personalities, preferences, opportunities, and life experiences. Um, that's a finding that I'm currently working on a publication for. Hopefully we'll see that (laughs) come out sometime this year in honor of, um, my number 23 in 2023. Um, the next one was athletes physically transitioned out of competitive sport, but not out of their identities as athletes. And so we, we saw them transition, but their athletic identities remained intact. Um, a couple of subparts under that one was this concept of athletic identity. It was too unidimensional to capture women's multidimensional experiences of exiting collegiate soccer. Like it was more complex than just the individual transition. Like there are more things going on here than just the, that transition. Yeah. All of the women in the study actually ended up, they were all mothers and that was not intentional. Um, It just was a beautiful, like, nuance that came out of it. And so um, new motherhood emerged from the study as well. And that showed that it required this reassessment of identity and even a a recalibration of athletic identity at the time. And then the final two is that their 
their level of anticipation and preparation for the transition out of sport, it, con it contributed to the ease of their transition experience. And each transition experience was unique and it didn't align with some model or expectation. Like I said earlier, there's not a prescription to this stuff. There's a lot of great theories and models out there, but I really couldn't find one that fit this like a glove. Well, isn't that fun? <laughs> that makes that so, I don't know. I don't know the word for that, but let's, tr okay. So there's no prescription for it. Did they find that there's certain strategies or characteristics that made it easier for certain individuals? Yeah. So, you know, they, they had some common themes um, as they went through. So like there were, there were similar things that they may have struggled with, but then there were differences, but really what kind of came out was getting to know themselves outside of athletics was helpful. Um, not necessarily all of them at the same time, because it was happening at different points in the journey. Um, one of them, for example, she got injured early and she was working a job while playing sports. So she got to see what the real world was like before that time. And so that was much easier for her to transition because she already kind of knew what to expect. Ooh, that's um, interesting. Some of them like participating in other activities or sports, like kind of putting their competitive uh, competitiveness into other activities was helpful. Like one of them was doing a half marathon. Um, support systems obviously emerged as being really helpful. The one who had worked, she was the only one who had mentioned specific support from the athletic department and kind of the career centers and advisors um, for really developing like her resume and what she wanted to do after sport and those kinds of things. And I think others did that too, but that, that came out really strong with her. Um, one of them is like running to the athletic department only to figure out that it wasn't what they wanted anymore. They thought they wanted athletics until they saw what athletics was like on the other side. And they were like, mm -mm, forget it. Like, I'm ready to <laughs> <laughs> propel into this, like, you know, thing. Um, and really finding that they can be successful in other things outside of sport, um, that it wasn't just the sport that, that breeded success. They, they, as a human had the formula for success and they could apply it in other areas of their life and it could work. Um, some of them are really excited for this new journey. And so that really kind of propelled and got them excited to, you know, either start their future career to go to graduate school um, for some of them, it was interacting with the outside world or staying busy. And then for one of them in particular, particular, it was really hard for her. And she had this trigger moment where she didn't, re um, she had turned to alcohol for, for coping. Mm. Um, and she went down what she called this very dark path. And that's very, um, heavily written about in the literature is just this, um, notion of, uh, you know, making choices like alcohol or drugs or anything like that. And she had done a little bit of both of those things. And she woke up in the morning and didn't remember what she had done the night before. And she had, you know, punched a hole in something and was like, oh my God, I need to do something about this. And um, Alcoholics Anonymous saved her life. Um, and I just sent her a text a few days ago. I can't remember how many years it was, but it was her sobriety date and stuff. And so it's like, wow, you know, like just these things that we experience, but there are these different <laughs> triggers that help everyone 
holistically and uniquely. Yeah. What did you find in the study or did you find anything that surprised you? Yeah, few, few things. So when I went into the study, I was using the word transition. So I thought, okay, you know, um, once upon a time, you're an athlete and now you're not. So what happened to the space in between? And I found that athletic identity didn't transition. It translated. So our athletic identities, they didn't suddenly appear upon entering college and they didn't disappear upon our departure from athletics. Um, it's something that we've been, we continue to be, and it's 100% beautiful and it's okay. Um, through this, we can manage multiple overlapping identities. <laughs> and so in our athletic identity continues to weave throughout. So just like we didn't leave our childhood identity to transition into becoming an athlete, who we became after sport didn't include dropping or leaving one identity to obtain a new identity. You know, who we are on the field as athletes appeared to translate to our post-sport lives. And what was really beautiful about that is that the best parts of who we are as athletes translate to who we are today. And it's this sort of, I call it this multifaceted living identity. Um, and let me give you a couple examples of that just from, from the study. So Adriana in my study, she as an uh, athlete was known as a leader and a hard worker. And now she runs her own businesses and leads teams of women. Um, Julie, she was an athlete who didn't want to be in the spotlight and um, she wanted everything behind the scenes. And now she works in public health and is like totally behind the scenes doing stuff. Roxy, she had this positive, like energy, high energy on the soccer field that was very motivational to other people. And so um, now she works as an academic advisor and an academic life coach, motivating students to finish their journey. Maya, she had this never give up attitude and that pushed her into this, you know, world of sales where she can get right in there with the best of them and she's kicking butt out there. And me, you know, I think about like I was a defender on the field and I like to see the whole field and anticipate the next, you know, play and create scoring opportunities and, and these types of things. And um, make strategic decisions on the field. And now I lead student success strategies where creativity and strategic planning and setting others up for success is my mainstay. So it's it's really interesting when you consider a position on the field and kind of what that what that does um, to our post-sport lives. It's 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 pretty fascinating. Um, Roxy in my study, I remember this moment where like I sort of like freaked out and thought that I screwed up as a researcher because I kept like probing her about, um, you know, transitioning into athletics and when she had her last game and how that was. And she kept saying, but I haven't had my last game. I haven't had my last game. And I'm like, what do you mean you haven't had your last game? Like you played it multiple years ago, like it's over. And she's like, no, I haven't. She was coaching. And so for her, coaching was just an extension of playing. And she, she never had her last game because she, she was still playing through coaching, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Julie uh, confused the heck out of me for a really long time in the study. So she was the only person in the study who went on to play pro sports, but she was not someone who wanted to be in the spotlight. She was there to enjoy time with her teammates. And she was probably the all time best captain of a player you could ever probably imagine. And she kept saying, I'm not an athlete. I'm not an athlete. 
But throughout her data, I was like, you are absolutely an athlete girlfriend. Like (laughs) there is no question you are an athlete, like through everything that you're saying and stuff. And what I realized was that everyone has these different definitions of athletes and competitiveness and motivations for playing, but athlete is unique to the athlete and how they participate in athletics. And that was when it like, finally was this like, I don't know, this light bulb went off of like, we're all athletes, but athlete doesn't have a singular definition aside from yes, athletes play sports, but like athletic identity takes on its own, (laughs) I don't know, this this phenomenon within itself, I would call it. Um, And the last thing, well, there were other things, but like this one was they, they all have this trigger moment or there's this turning point in their transition experience where um, they finally were, were ready to move into life after sport, I guess. Um, And they all kind of came to that at different, different times. And then the motherhood thing was really cool um, because I I saw some of this in the chat on the Facebook page and stuff. And I wanted to just kind of put it out here, but you know, you become a mother and you, maintaining this level of fitness, similar to when you were a D1 athlete, you know, while you're pregnant or postpartum and you're looking at your body and you're like, oh my God, like, what <laughs> is this? Like, I, happening? I did not eat all this food and become like this. Like, this is like this human grew inside of me. And this is what I'm left with. Like, what do I do with this? And, um, and then it's like, how do you de-stress or re-energize because you did that on the soccer field? Um, you know, how do you show your kids that like you can be this superwoman, right? Like you can be this mother athlete who um, was great at doing all the things, you know, and I, I can work and I can be a mom and I can do all this stuff. And while we do that, sometimes we struggle to prioritize our own health and wellness um, because we're just, we're trying to juggle all the things and do all the things. Um you know, and, and so that was really interesting too. just, I don't know, like, like think about, you know, when you go out and try to play, like your head knows what's supposed to happen, but your body doesn't quite react the way that it used to. When oh gosh, 1000 you know? <laughs> I literally will never forget that. It was like a few years after it once my once my college career ended I was done for a while and then I I did like an adult league and that the disconnect between what my mind was telling my body to do and what my body was doing it was the most unbelievable experience ever you're like what the heck yeah I'm like I don't want to tell anybody that I used to play d1 soccer <laughs> yeah I know <laughs> like you think I'm you all think I'm horrible and, um, the, and I had that going on during this study and there's this one girl, cause she, you know, felt like that too. Like they all kind of felt like that. Like, let me just hide out and not play because like, if they were to find out that I was a soccer player, you know, that would be very embarrassing, but like, let me go out and play basketball because no one expects me to be good at it. Right. Like I, I didn't play it. So who cares? Um, but one of them was like, you know, I just look at it like, oh, you know, you think I, you think I'm pretty good now? Like you should have seen me back in my prime. Oh, I love that. Like I love that, you know? (laughs) That's so good. I was just playing in a tournament last weekend. It was a co-ed tournament and they were, I think most of these people were in their twenties and it was 
very eye-opening to me that I am no longer, I'm no longer there. <laughs> I need to just find my people and either play with 30 year olds or be done because yeah. holy moly. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> the hips are not doing what the mind wants it to do. <laughs> No, and definitely not as fast. <laughs> oh my God, it's so slow. So those insights that you found that surprised you, I was just sitting here like mind blown after one after another. And I think the first one you touched on was the translation. I love that. And I think I that agree that with you. Been really helpful to know immediately. And now looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, I kind of am doing what I did on the field and bringing awareness to that, I think is going to help a lot of people. So thank you for commenting on that. I'm going to piggyback on that comment, Jules, because that totally, I agree with you. Like, you know, we're, I love the power of words um, and um, just changing that verbiage from transitioning to translating and how you said like yeah your identity didn't just like start one day and it doesn't just end one day you are who you are and that is always there and there's just something so profound um and beautiful within that that our core of who we are is always has always been there and continues like you said in whatever role we take it to then yeah and that that was life-changing for me. Yes. Um, when I, when I saw that it was like, I had to like walk away for a minute. (laughs) It was just mind blowing. And I, even to this day, there's more things that I continue to think about with it. Like there's more here to, to seek out, you know, in research and conversation for sure. And I'll go on another one of my tangents. I'm sorry, Jules. <laughs> but, I love even, but even, you know, even bringing this back to the purpose of this podcast is like, that really is our intention is to help people just connect to that innate, innate core identity within themselves, because there there is no one else like you, right? We are N of one and the world needs your uniqueness. And I just think honoring that, like that is our purpose right now. So I, I just love that theme and how um, throughout your research, you came to this. And like I said, I think that just supports our, our purpose of this podcast is for people to connect with that within themselves because that is what the world needs in whatever you know you're doing in life yeah and I I love that um just highlighting that Ange because you know uh, this I talk to students about this all the time and it's what prompted some of this study too with identity is this your fingerprint yes you are the only one in the entire world with that fingerprint No one ever existed before you and there will never be anyone like you when they leave this earth Mm. and you were created for a purpose, beautifully, uniquely designed to do amazing things. And I just want whoever's listening, like be your beautiful or handsome or whatever self, Mm. you be you, 
you know, yeah. because like the world needs you to be you because only you can be full body chills. Yes. No. <laughs> can you tell us, so you shared, you've shared about the four women that you interviewed. Can you tell us your personal journey as you were doing this research? Yeah. So I, um, in some of what I shared and just some of the, you know, kind of dealt with like some of the comparison stuff as I was going through this of like, man, she, she really did a great job at that. And I didn't do such a great job. Like I'm a failure, blah, blah, blah. And then you get into this like negative self-talk pattern that you got to like get yourself up off the ground, you know, and be like, no, <laughs> let's, let's talk truth to that lie, you know? And, um, while I was doing this, you know, we're talking about eight to 16 years after soccer is over. And so when I did the study, the first interviews, the first set of interviews I did, cause I did three sets of interviews, um, was I interviewed them on the field that they played at because I wanted to, we were talking about their, their life while they were there. And I wanted them to smell and feel and kind of see the things. And even while I was on the field down there, it was like, man, like these were the best years of my life. Like, did I make the most of these experiences and you get back into that negative kind of self-talk and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, yeah, like I, I, I don't know. I, I think I did. Of course we can always do better at anything we do. Right. And so think you gotta like I had to kind of turn my attention from that not focus so much on the negative and more on really kind of the positive things um during the study as these things would come out about you know who am I and what do I what is my purpose in the world like this notion of like how do I get back to myself kept coming up of like it seemed like that was a combination of like athlete with a certain body type certain activity level like it seemed to kind of come back more to like the health and wellness component of athleticism um and so I joined a men's outdoor league team I hadn't played in like seven years or something like that and I was like still pretty good (laughs) I didn't even like touch the ball, but, um, but then like, I had to deal with some of that, like with what we were just talking about of like, my head can't do this and my body can't do that. And so then I'm listening to Roxy in the study, tell, you know, tell me, it's like I, when I, when I would go out there and someone would be like, wow, you're, you're really good. And I would be like, uh, thanks, but, um, I sucked today. <laughs> right. Like how freaking rude is that? Someone is giving you a compliment and you're like, no, <laughs> actually I'm horrible and you're a terrible you're incorrect (laughs) you know like it's terrible so like I literally would go out there and I would be like oh ha ha," you know like you you think I'm good now you should have seen me when I was in my prime you know and stuff like that I'm like trying to use these words from the study and like faking it till I make it kind of a thing um and then I was watching like Netflix series athletic shows to kind of just get in this athletic mindset and you know, I was, I was going through all of this and it finally was like that translation piece came up and, um, 
And then God bless Brene Brown. She has so many great things. And she, in her um, book and stuff, talked about is this um, man in the the arena quote by um, Teddy Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we switch it to women in the arena, right? Yes. And I finally just, it was kind of like, there were just so many things that I was thinking of, like while we were doing it. So it's like, I, you know, I had my maiden name on the back of my Jersey and then I get married and I have this new name now. And I never understood for years why it was always like, what is this new name? You know, because it's like, we became known by this name on our back. Right. We, we showed people our identity through this name on our back. Um, and now it's different, at least my, my choice. Right. Like I chose to, to change my name completely and not to hyphenate it. Um, so that was going on. I'm sorry, this is kind of all over the place, but this is like really kind of what was happening was it was all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about all these people who like didn't feel like they understood me. And what came out in the research a lot was like these women wanted people to know that they were an athlete I'll say quote unquote in their former life even though they still are um because knowing a little bit that they were an athlete helps others to understand them more but I kind of like dug into that a little bit because it's like do I feel like I need to like drop drop that hey I was an athlete and they're like oh that makes sense why you're competitive you know (laughs) like like why do we feel this need to defend ourselves like to defend who we are um why can't we just be that like and and be okay with it but I do feel like I I want people to know that I was an athlete because I'm proud of that um yeah you made fun of me for being competitive but like I think it's maybe strange that you're not competitive right like we all have our different right you know and and that was when um towards the end of the study. So Oklahoma state framed my Jersey for me when I finished playing and I never know what to do with it. And so it like stayed in the closet for a long time. And, um, they framed my black Jersey and I ended up for my graduation, um, getting my white Jersey framed in a frame that matches my house. And it's in the house by the kitchen. Um, and it's just simple. It's just the Jersey. It doesn't have anything else in it just to, because there was a sense of pride there. Like I need to be proud of this. And, and I feel like we're made to feel sometimes that like, if we put something like that up, we're showing off. (laughs) I'm not, (laughs) I'm proud of that. Like that was a big part of my life. And I ended up bringing that Jersey to my work and it's hanging on the wall in my office, not to be like, Oh, how is this like soccer player at Oklahoma state? It's my reminder to be who I am every single day and to show up and kick butt like the athlete that I am every single day. It's my permission to be myself. Oh, I mean, yeah. my, my drop. My <laughs> <laughs> Tears are rolling down my face right now. The amount of things that just resonated with me is unbelievable. I absolutely unbelievable. And you're right. As you just explained that story, I literally, in my head, I was like, I do tell everyone I was an athlete. What's my intention? And to your point, like, I am so proud of that part of, of me. So, oh, that's just, and like, just to not forget that. Yeah. And 
And here's this other thing I forgot to mention, but I do think it's important because it came out super strong and they, I had them bring artifacts and stuff too. But this um, notion of the importance of visual validation. So that jersey hanging on my wall is visual validation. I'll give you some other examples in my office. I had someone who I love dearly wrote, stop beating yourself up over it or I'll beat you up myself. I've got that on a sticky note in my office. Um, I have another sticky note of a friend of mine who told me I was a wise and kind woman, that I'm brave with my own voice. And she said, you work so hard and creatively. And I appreciate you as a coworker, human being and friend. Like that means the freaking world to me. Mm, And I have these things all around. When I started working on my research paper, I wrote this like mantra for myself about how my research matters and how I need to be real and get this stuff out into the light because people can get freedom from understanding that they should be their beautiful selves and all this stuff. And so I have that on my wall. And in the study, you know, one of them is wearing a ring from what she got from school because that that's a connection point to her as an athlete. And when she goes to football games, like others are wearing it and they make these connections. The other one has a, a photo on her wall of when they won um, the Big 12 tournament. And, you know, that's in her office because it's this validation of this beautiful moment in life that she's really proud of. Another one, she's got a picture with um, signatures all around from employees saying how how much they appreciated her work. And it was this validation to her that she could be great in work. Like the same things that made her a great athlete, made her a great worker. Um, And then Julie, the girl who kind of wanted to be a little bit more behind the scenes, she has this medal. But what's so beautiful about Julie is she doesn't want anyone to see it. So it's in her parents' house because her parents care about it Mm -hmm. um, as far as like, you know, putting up the medals and the hardware and stuff from their kids' accomplishments. But she she likes knowing that it's there. And so it's like this covert thing that's like so beautiful part of her personality, but they all have it. (laughs) So I think that's really interesting too. I love that strategy. Um, You know, Julie and I, we talk a lot about um, feedback loops, right? For whatever intention you have. Um, so that visual reminder, that constant feedback, um, the and the power of that. And that's cool that everyone utilized that or is utilizing that. Yeah. You have just inspired me to move. So Ange actually had my Jersey framed for me Mm -hmm. and it's in our basement. It's on the wall in our basement, but we never go in our basement. So I feel like I'm almost, I, I fully resonate with, I almost feel braggy, like having it up and out for people to see, but I'm moving it. It's coming into my (laughs) office. (laughs) You're letting your hair down today, Jill. I'm going to be a wild woman in a minute. I am. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Love that. <laughs> Nikki, what would you say to current athletes who are coming up upon this transition period? I would say take time to get to know yourself as an athlete and gain as many experiences as you can within athletics and with any other opportunities that you could potentially have. And then do some ref- reflection on how those experience experiences connect or or translate for you. Um, so things like internships, maybe you can be involved in a club, maybe you can be on the student athlete advisory council. 
um, faculty athletics committee. Those were some things that I did, for example, or maybe you're, you're connected with a, a church group or an organization or something like that, but just kind of getting those experiences through your like service um, and starting to figure out things that you really enjoy and ask yourself why you enjoy them um, and what you're doing. There's this other um, piece of this, especially for those that were mentioning about the fitness aspects, is there's um, this buzzword out there in the research called detraining. And it's this idea of educating athletes on the importance of exercise for overall health and wellness and even nutrition, and not just for sport competition. Um, beginning to help them explain or help them understand how they would put this um, into practice after sports because no one's going to be writing up, you know, <laughs> workouts for them and telling them what to do and making them the food on training table and all this stuff. They're going to have to kind of figure that out um, because they don't have to be anywhere or do anything and they're not burning the kind of calories that they used to. And um, the NCAA several years ago now opened up this dialogue about life after sport. And I'm so glad that they did. And they have a section of their website now called Life After the Game. And I think it's really profound and impactful um, for athletes to read about the experiences of other athletes or even listening to this podcast or others, for example, to see that, you know, our experiences are always going to be different. But what's important is acknowledging that, you know, there is this transition coming and it might be hard. Um and, you know, if we if we're people who work with athletes, you know, we can think about things like, you know, we don't want to make them disengage from being an athlete, but we want to help them connect what it is about them as an athlete that makes them and their giftings and their skill sets unique before they leave formal higher education. Um, and and I wrote that. Are we reminding athletes that their best is yet to come and that life doesn't end with their competitive sporting role? I mean, for some of us, it's hard, right? Because we do feel like it was the end still, and we we don't want to lie to them about the experience. Um, but what's great about this podcast and the work that we're doing to break out of this is is to live beyond the sport, um, and and that, and that's really important. Um, and we want to, you know, help help them recognize that they're made for more than sport. You know, they've they've got these these other things that are coming for them, but how does athletics, how does it become this, um, this train, I guess, that brings you into that next part of life? Um, and that translation piece is really helpful. That was very powerful. Okay, so what would you say to the athletes like us who have already made that transition? I think what I needed to see in this study was that I wasn't alone. And I think we all need to hear that when we're going through crap. <laughs> um, because I think the biggest ploy in life when you're going through hard stuff is to put it in the dark and to make you feel like you're the only one going through it. And that is an absolute breeding ground for depression and anxiety and mental health issues and all the things. And so when we can bring this stuff into the light and begin to have conversations with other people, to find people who are a part of our similar community, 
not everyone we hang out with is going to be an athlete and they may not understand. And that's okay because they may still be someone who helps us in this journey. But sometimes it helps to just talk to another athlete too. And to recognize like, you're not this freak show and something's not wrong with you. Because I used to think that. And um, it's important to see how others handle the transition experience because you also might get ideas for things that you could try and do something different. For example, like Jules is a wild woman in a few minutes here when we're done filming and she's going to put her jersey on the wall um, in public sight, you know, and and maybe she's going to have some like freedom from that somehow or something. Or maybe we gain appreciation for how we handled something because we're sitting here being so freaking hard on ourselves because that's what we do. Right. Like punish ourselves and our bodies to perform. Um, and I think even finding a sport or an activity that you enjoy and you can pour your competitiveness into in a healthy way can be helpful. Um, I'm, I started playing soccer again last, I think it was like March or April and I'm playing on like a, whatever the highest level of co-ed team is for indoor and I'm having a freaking blast. I'm playing with a bunch of young kids and I'm getting in shape and I'm like doing really good. Like I'm scoring a lot of goals and it's really like kind of motivational to me right now. Cause I'm like, yes, like God made me athletic and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to rock it as long as I can until I can't anymore. And then I started working with a um, registered dietitian in October and I'm, I'm working on losing some of this extra weight and working on these um, you know, the, the mental negative talk and, and trying to be better for myself. And that's what I was talking about. The detraining is to recognize that, like, I'm not training to be a D1 athlete anymore. I'm, I'm a mom and, and I don't, I don't want to run anymore like that. Like I, that ship has sailed and I'm over it, but now how do I love this body that I'm in and how do I um, get to a point where I'm healthy because I want to run around with my kids And so um, I think taking time for yourself is important and recognizing those things that, you know, Jules talked about it in her podcast of like, man, like, I don't, I don't want to look back with regret. Um, I want to make the most of now and, and what can I do to, to make my life better tomorrow? Um, And finally, I'll say this for athletic departments. You know, we see so much like highlighting of current athletes that are playing this sport and it's great, right? It's, it's a part of social media campaigns, obviously. But taking time to highlight what student athletes are doing post-sport and how their athletic identity has translated to life after sport and these amazing accomplishments and things that they're doing is great. And as an educator, it's especially great because careers is such a hot topic in showing a return on investment. And it's an opportunity for athletic departments to have a, a marketing opportunity, one. Um, but two, to showcase to their current athletes and even to their other community outside of that, that, you know, this was a great launching pad yes. for athletes into their life after sport because <laughs> there's this beautiful life waiting after for us to attack. I mean, Nicole, I know <laughs> just, and I literally, when you said it, like 
it gets like life just gets better. <laughs> it just gets better. Um, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for you know being here and supporting us and just sharing just your wisdom, your passion, and your heart. Um, I mean, you are truly a light in this world and um yeah we are very grateful for you um to be here with us thank you so much Ange. that means the world to me it's it's been my my pleasure and my privilege and i want to thank everyone for joining us today um if you like our content please be sure to subscribe rate and review the show and share it with a friend. We truly appreciate all the support. All right. We are signing off. Love Jules and Ange.